Welcome to With You Every Step, the solo travel podcast that explores, explains, and hopefully inspires you to travel the world by yourself. I'm your host, Michelle Lee. Today, I have invited Jules Hunt. Jules is a solo female traveler who has been traveling the world for at least the last 18 years, predominantly by herself. So I have invited her to talk to us about how she does it and some of her tips and tricks. Welcome, Jules, to With You Every Step. I am very happy that I have finally been able to lock you down long enough to be (laughs) able to record with you so my listeners get to know all about you and your travels because you are amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Jules is a crazy, crazy female traveller. I don't think anyone in my travels I've ever met that is out always like you are. Yeah, nice. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think let's talk about how you and I met. And I think I had just arrived in Miami from, I think, Chicago, where it had been freezing. And so it was just before New Year's Eve, wasn't it? It was. I'd just arrived from New Orleans and I was sick and I felt like I was going to die. Yes, and Jules was... Above me or below me? I can't know. I I no, I was in the top bunk. I definitely remember that one because the window wouldn't lock and it was really noisy. And I must have been below you. So we're in a hostel. It was a pretty cool hostel. Yeah, it was good. I ended up staying there a lot longer than I'd originally booked in to stay there for. And I went back there as well. I remember they also did free food at that hostel, didn't they? Yeah, they did. It was just chicken and rice, but it was free. So you can't complain about free food. No, never. So I remember that I had just got there and I'd just gotten changed because they had said to me, we're going on a pub crawl. Do you want to come? And I was like, hell yeah, I'm coming on a pub crawl. And I had to be out, I think the next morning. Yeah, to go on your cruise, didn't you? You were going on a cruise. Yes, I was going on a cruise. And I literally saw you for, I don't know, like 20 minutes maybe. I don't even if that because, yeah, and I probably wouldn't have been at my best because I was so sick and it was so noisy and it was so hot. All I wanted to do was curl up in a little room by myself and cry that I probably wasn't even, hi, kind of no. joyful. No, you weren't. <laughs> but I still felt like, oh, she's an Aussie. And, yes, I haven't seen an Aussie for a while, so I was very excited to see you. <laughs> and then I went on my cruise. I came back and I just happened to walk past you on the street. That's right. And we went out for dinner. Yeah, it was really cool. And I was like, I like this chick. She's cool. And then I was in Europe and I was not liking where I was. And I put on Facebook, is anyone else around? Where is everybody? And you wrote to me and you said, I'm in Mallorca, Spain. Come here. So I did. And we yeah, had you the, did. I know. We had the best time. You picked me up from time. the airport, took me to the hotel I'd booked. We had a ball. Actually, that was for one of my birthdays. You gave me the best birthday I've ever had. <laughs> you're, well, you're welcome. <laughs> Still to this day, it was my. it's my favorite birthday. We went snorkeling in Mallorca and then we went out to that beautiful place for dinner. I can't remember what it was called, but it was beautiful, wasn't it? It was all white. And there was a pool in the middle. It felt yeah. very luxurious. It was a great day. It was a good day. Then we went to the club after that, remember? Uh-huh. And we were that out until fun. very late or very mm-hmm. early the next morning, I should say. <laughs> yeah, that was a good time. Now we've kind of covered how we know each other. What was your first trip that you did by yourself? My first trip was when I was 18. Actually, when I was 17, I bought myself a one-way ticket over to Europe as my 18th birthday present to myself. Wow. Okay. I've got a lot of family over in Europe, which is why, well, over in the UK, which is why I think my mum and dad were happy for me to go over there. I was supposed to be over there indefinitely because I just bought myself a one-way ticket. And after about six months, I called up my dad. I've got no money left, dad. Buy me a ticket home. So that that wasn't the most successful of my trips. That one wasn't. (laughs) But it still made you want to travel more? Yeah. So I came home and I worked for a year. Then I went back over to the UK. I stayed there for a good couple of years then. Okay. And did you feel scared going on your first trip by yourself? 
I remember I was at the airport, at Sydney Airport, and I was bawling my eyes out to my mum. I almost didn't go through the gates. The only reason why I actually went through the customs gates was because my dad was on the same flight, and he basically grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and pulled me through the gates with him. But once I got over there, I was fine because I'd done a lot of travelling already with my dad, overseas travel and things like that, So, and I'd, and I'd been to London before. So once I got over there, I started recognising things. I'm kind of like, well, I've been here before, so this isn't so scary. Mm-hmm. Did you end up going and staying in a hostel? No, I actually stayed with my uncle the whole time. That was one of my mum's prerequisites of me going over to Europe by myself. For the first little while, I had to stay with my uncle, but I got myself sorted. Okay. So I'd go out every day and I, I went to Ireland and went over to Wales as well to go visit family over there. But I wasn't very good with my money. I ran out of it very quickly. Yeah. And did you feel like you weren't very adventurous either at that age? Not very adventurous at all. No way. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I I think if I had stayed in a hostel, I probably would have hidden the corner. And actually, I don't know. Maybe maybe, I didn't really come into my happy-go-lucky talk to everyone stage when I was in my 20s. So yeah, maybe I probably would have just sort of hidden the corner and been like, this is all too scary. Mm. I want to go home. What do you think is the difference do you just feel it's maturity or do you feel that it was a lot of outside fear being put onto you I think it was more I've never been I've never been alone and when I first started traveling I was because I traveled alone I was very alone because I didn't have the confidence to go up and talk to people so I I started forcing myself to go up and talk to people you know what I mean so I'd, I'd go into a hostel and I'd see a group of people sitting down and I'd walk up to them and say hey do you mind if I join you I'm, I'm traveling by myself and nine times out of ten they're like yeah come and join us what's your name where are you from and that kind of stuff and mm. occasionally you get the odd table that look at you like you're from outer space and they're the ones who just kind of turn around and go well next I really, I don't know if I've come across that in a hostel where I have found someone that's totally just like, nah, not cool. I have been in hostels where there is nobody that wants to talk, but never is in that actual hostel wasn't a party hostel. It was kind of felt more like a hotel where people don't actually mingle. Yeah, no, I've been in those hostels before. Yeah, I don't like those hostels. And I would totally check reviews. And if you are somebody that does like to be by yourself maybe those hostels are for you but if you do want to mingle and meet people I would definitely check out reviews before you book oh I'm definitely one to always book the party hostels but I I have been known to book the quieter hostels before when I have been traveling non-stop for like six months in the party hostels yeah and all I want to do is set up my own little man cave with my sarongs around my bunk bed and have my little space where I can sit there and watch Netflix for a couple of days and just chill out yeah, and I, again, I think there's there's a, a reason for everything, right? So you do yeah. need those down days and it's super important to be able to have those days and sometimes you just don't want to talk to people. Exactly, absolutely. So after you got back from Europe, where was your next trip where you went by yourself? I moved up to, oh, I was raised in Sydney, but I, then I moved up to Port Douglas and I was up there for about six months and then I decided to go back over to the UK. So I, I was over there when I was about 21, I think. Okay, and were you living there? Yeah, I was living there. I I was living in London. Okay. And did you end up kind of finding somewhere to live and (laughs) getting a job? Yeah. So uh, a friend of mine from Sydney came over to meet me in London. So we were looking through the classifiers because back then there wasn't Facebook or Google. Showing my age here, sorry. (laughs) And we're looking through the classifiers and we found an ad for an apartment in a little suburb called Camberwell in London. We kind of looked it on the tube map and we're kind of like, okay, that looks pretty central and always do your research before you move somewhere. That's all I can say after this experience. Okay, I'm excited to hear the story. <laughs> <laughs> so we move into this apartment and the, we, we had a room with two beds in it, so we're sharing a room and, and it was it was summer, so we, we had the window open. And that night we're sitting on our bed and we're just chatting and then we heard gunshots. <gasps> I was in the bed right next to the window, so I turned around, put the window down, closed the curtains, looked to my friend and went, where have we just moved to? Mm. Uh, it turns out that back then Camberwell wasn't the safest place in London to be living, but the thing was, was we had to stay there for 30 days or one month to get our deposit back Ah. when you're a young traveler deposits are very important yeah we end up having to stay in Camberwell for about a month well exactly one month I think it was one month to the day we called up the landlord and said we we want out give us our deposit back Mm. definitely an interesting month lots of police sirens and gunshots and all that kind of stuff going on in the evenings 
I didn't know London had any areas like that. I don't think it does really anymore because from what I've been told now, Camberwell is quite an up-and-coming suburb. Okay. It's quite nice there in Camberwell now, but I'm talking 15, 15, 16 years ago. It wasn't wasn't that great. Yeah, okay. All right. And so did you start working in London as well? Yeah, so I was actually working for a company called Ministry of Paintball. Oh, okay. I've got... Absolutely no idea how I felt, how I got, I probably just checking in the classifieds, found found the job and went, that sounds like fun. Let's go along for the day. We ended up selling paintball tickets on the streets of London. Okay. It was a lot of fun. Good money as well. Yeah, it was really good money for what we were doing. Crew that I worked with were a lot of fun. We used to have parties almost every night. Friday night was a big drinking night with everybody and it was good times. So this is where you started to become a bit more social, do you feel? Yeah, I think Ministry of Paintball really brought it out of me, to be honest with you, because I think when I first turned up, I was really shy. Well, not shy, but I was a bit nervous. Yeah. There was a few key characters at that job that you couldn't help but be energetic when you were around them. Oh, that's good. And so after leaving London, where did you go? Well, I actually got sick when I was in London and had to come back to Australia to recover. Uh-huh. So uh, after that, I went to make me think now. I think I went back over to Europe and just traveled around Europe by myself and did more of the places in Europe that I didn't go to. Because when I was living in London, I didn't travel very much because I was working. And I think I went back to travel more around Europe. And then I came home and then I started Japan and the USA and South and Central America. Okay. All those China places like that. Okay. Now you said something to me before about a family member that said something to you when you were about to leave to go. Was it to Japan? <laughs> yeah. It was before I left to go anywhere, Michelle, to be honest with you. My, my, my old stepmother, every time I would call her up, I'd be like, oh, guess where I'm going now? Well, I've just booked tickets to, to Japan. And she would always come back with, oh, be, very, be careful over there. You'll get raped. And as far as she was concerned, no matter where I went in the world, I would get raped. I'd have my drink, my drink spiked and I'd get raped. Mm. It's never happened by the way. I think this is a perception that they have about women traveling though. And I think yeah. this is something what I was kind of talking about before is about this other perception when women start traveling for the first time, that's the fear we have and it's coming from somewhere else. And it's yeah. something that we need to get rid of because speaking to you, speaking to myself, you know, it hasn't happened and we travel all the time. And yep. so it's not something that should be in the back of your mind, but it's hard to, to flick that away when it keeps getting told to you all the time. It's one of those things. I've been I've been traveling more on than off now for the last 18 years. And I, I, was, trying, I was thinking about it because I was reading through the email that you sent and sort of when you, when you sort of mentioned what kind of questions you're going to be asking. And I really tried to rack my brain to think if I've ever been in a situation where I felt like something like that was going to happen. And my answer is no. Great. I've never been in that situation. And that's yeah. good. And like we, like you just said, you travel more than pretty much anyone I, I know. And for you to never be put in that situation is a testament to what we were just saying is that the outside fears are so much bigger than the reality, really. And, you know, we're not saying it doesn't happen. It does happen. It can happen. But it's just this is the story that it hasn't happened to us, luckily. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, I'm, I'm really happy that nothing bad has happened. You've not even had any – have you had anything stolen? No, I, I had a scarf stolen when I was in New York and I was gutted because it was my favorite scarf. <laughs> If that's the worst that you've had, you're doing amazing. <laughs> I remember I woke up that morning because I'd put the scarf over the chair that was next to my bunk and I woke up the next morning to go out and I had my scarf and my jacket and my scarf was gone and I was gutted. Mm. It was my favourite scarf. Because I have heard a lot of stories of people losing laptops and things in hostels and I know you stay in hostels a lot mm-hmm. and the scarf is the only thing you've ever had pinched. That's great. Yep, anything I've had pinched. But in saying that as well, if there's if there's anywhere I can lock things up, if there's a locker with a pad, where I can put a padlock on it, I always put my electronics and my passports and things like that in there. Yeah. I never leave things out on my bed. Never. No, take away the temptation. Exactly. Yeah, especially with hostels when people are coming in and out so quickly. That one that I met you in Miami, I was out by the morning, I think. And well, not that I was even really in the room because I was night clubbing all night. Oh, it just reminds me, I thought I met the man of my dreams that night. Oh, really? Yeah, I was in the bar in a club in Miami and this guy started talking to me and I did have probably vodka goggles on at that point. And I thought he was the most beautiful man on this planet. Thought, oh my gosh, I've just met the man of my dreams. I said to him, I'm sorry, but I really need to go to the bathroom. He goes, I'll walk you to the bathroom. So he walked me to the bathroom and I got locked in the stall. 
And I was <laughs> waiting until someone had to break me out of the actual cubicle in this nightclub. And by the time I came out, he had left. And I think, yeah, I think he thought I did a runner because this bathroom, you could exit out a different way as well. Oh, no. I know. It could have been the man of my dreams. Could have been. Yeah. That's sad. I know. And I got stuck in a cubicle in Miami <laughs> in a club. <laughs> That's never happened to me, I have to admit. Oh, it's the first time ever it's ever happened to me. And it was not like I, could, I couldn't climb out underneath. Like it was one of those full ones as well. So oh, I, no. Yeah, I was starting to panic a little bit because then, you know, the claustrophobia kind of sets in when you think you're stuck somewhere. Yep. But anyway, I survived, but I just lost the man of my dreams. Oh, no. <sighs> then... You went and did your by yourself. Did you stay in hostels the whole time or did you try and stay in, in hotels? I never st- I, I very, very rarely ever stay in hotels. Mm-hmm. Why? Just because uh, they're not as social. I'm not going to meet as many people if you stay in a hotel. The only time I ever book myself into a hotel is if I'm on the road and I can feel myself getting sick. Mm-hmm. Then I'll book myself in just a cheap little motel somewhere just so I, I've got the room to my – I can cough and splutter as much as I want without keeping somebody up and also without spreading it. Or yeah. the only other time I ever book myself into a hotel is if I've been on the road for a good long length of time and all I want to do is watch my laptop in the evening without my headphones on. You know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. just walk around the room naked kind of thing and yeah. not care. When you do travel for a long time, what – what kind of luggage do you take with you? And I think this is a question I get asked all the time. And for me, it's always different depending on the trip, but you constantly are on the move. I've generally got a backpack. It depends on where I'm going. If I'm, I've got two different backpacks. I've got one for warm weather and one for cold weather backpacking. Obviously, two different size backpack. I've normally got a day pack. And these days, my traveling, I'm not going to really be able to do it how I used to be able to do it because my, my luggage has gotten a lot heavier. I've got all my camera equipment now and I've got my dive equipment, all that kind of stuff. So it's going to actually put a bit of a damper on my travels because I like to have my own equipment with me when I go diving. Mm-hmm. So unless I decide to do another trip, another overland trip, which doesn't include any diving, then yeah, my, my luggage has grown quite substantially. So how do you travel with diving gear? Very awkwardly. <laughs> <laughs> do you, you have to, I don't understand. What do you do? Do you check it in separately? No, I'm actually very, very soon going to be buying myself a new dive bag, which has got, it's, it's got a compartment full of your dive gear in it. And then it's got another compartment for dry clothes, like for your toiletries and clothing and stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. if I was, for example, to go for a trip to Indonesia or to Thailand to go diving, all I need for my out of the water clothes is a shorts and a t-shirt really, isn't it? You don't need much more than, and your flip-flops. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking there's a new dive bag that's just come out. With, but then you just check it in normally in the normal luggage area. Okay. So you wouldn't take another luggage with you. You would just take that? That's what I have been doing recently is I've had my backpack, my dive bag, my camera equipment and my day pack. I feel like a mule. Yeah, that's a lot. It's not easy. No. But before, before when I used to travel, I just had a backpack and a day pack. That's all I ever had. Yeah. See, I, I change between a suitcase and a backpack depending on where I'm going. Because yeah. I'm now that I'm getting old, or I'm finding I've got more spinal injuries and issues and it's a lot harder to carry the backpack now than it was when I was younger and yeah. so a suitcase is much easier but then there's certain places where it's just not appropriate. I'll never forget I was I was in Guatemala with a friend of mine we decided to do a little side trip over there to go visit another friend who was over there learning Spanish. I had my backpack and she had a backpack and a wheelie suitcase and all I remember was uh, all the roads in Antigua were all cobblestone and she was trying to get her roller luggage down this cobblestone road and she was saying a, a few select words that I won't repeat about how frustrated she was getting. And there was me just walking along with my backpack on my back. I've just learned now to pack more smartly so it's not as heavy. And what does that mean? Like less clothes? Yep, a lot less clothes. Because at the end of the day, whenever you travel, you always end up wearing the same same T-shirt, same short. You might wear the same three T-shirts. You wear the same shorts until they're literally falling off you. That's when then you put them in the laundromat. Yeah. You can hand wash all of your smalls, like all your bras and undies and things like that, and your socks, which is what I've now started doing. Mm-hmm. So I find that when I travel, I'm quite strict with how much clothing I let myself take because I've been doing this now long enough. I know I'm never, ever going to wear that dress. Yeah. But when you're in a place for a long time, like how long were you in Mallorca for? I think I was there for about eight months. Yeah. So what do you do then? Obviously, you're there for a long time. So do you 
buy because you were also staying in an apartment weren't you yeah yeah I did get myself an apartment in Mallorca what I do then is well before that I was working I was working on the boat so I had a uniform so most of my clothes were actually in really good condition so I didn't have to replace anything but what I would normally do like whenever I settle somewhere I go through my luggage and I look at my tops and I go okay that one's looking a bit tatty now I, I could replace that one so I'll go I'll donate that one to somebody or to one of the op shop places and I'll go out and buy myself a new t-shirt sort of thing or if it's really tatty then I keep it for rags I've always got rags in my bag for random reasons I generally replace things as I go so even when you were on Mallorca for that long you didn't go and buy a full wardrobe full of clothes no oh see I wouldn't be able to stop myself (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't I am an overpacker which you've seen that because you've seen me go with all my luggage and everybody says the same thing but I actually end up wearing everything and I don't think there's ever and I have gotten a lot better over the years and my last trip I felt like I took hardly anything with me and I was so sick of wearing the same clothes but I still felt like I had so much luggage with me but for me it's also my makeup takes a lot of space (laughs) see I don't wear makeup so (laughs) That's always helpful. Yeah. I've said this before. Now looking at Instagram and looking at all these girls that are traveling that have full glam that don't even look like, you know, I take a decent amount of makeup with me, but not the amount that these girls are looking glammed with and their hair and everything. I'm like, how do they take all this stuff with them when they're traveling? And you know what? I I can't speak for all women when you see girls like that, but I look at them and I go, what are you doing? Spending a good hour or two hours in the morning doing your hair and makeup when you could be out exploring. Do you not think that when you see them? Well, I don't even know if they're really traveling when I look at them because I was like, how do you still look that good when you're out in the sun all day? I know my face looks like it's melted off and I'm red and blotchy and I take a photo and look back at it and go, oh, I don't know how. They still look so perfect in these shots. I don't know. I'm, I'm very new to Instagram. So so when you were in Mallorca, how did you find somewhere to live then? Oh, I had my, my friend Brandy was over there and I'm almost positive I met up with her. When I when I turned up to Mallorca, Mallorca is, a, is a very much a yachty place for people who work on the yachts. So I turned up and I already knew a few people just from being out in the boats and also when I was in Antibes in France as well because Antibes is another big yachting town. And also my good friend Brandy was in Palmer at the time as well. So I, I think that's how I found my place was through networking through the yachties. And, and that's when I met the guy, who, I can't remember what his name was, but he was a character, the guy who owned the apartment that I lived in. He would just turn up with it unannounced and you'd be walking out the shower with a towel on and be like, oh, hi, okay, going to go hide in the first room I can get into. Yeah, that sounds awkward. Yes. You mentioned working on the boats. Yep. How did you start working on boats? Because that was going to be my next question. How do you fund these trips while you're out all the time? And I'm sure everyone is thinking the same thing. How do you travel so long? And how can you afford it, especially because you said earlier that you like to spend your money? Well, no, I've actually learned how to budget really well now. After that that disastrous six-month trip to Europe when I was 18, I definitely learned how to budget my money a lot better. I used to work in bars and nightclubs when I lived in the UK. So that was how I – and also worked in Ministry of Paintball as well, which another way is to find jobs is to sort of go to bars and you can normally work and they give you free board, especially if they've got a hotel on top. So that's okay. always good. That's a, yeah, the, that's good. So they give you food and board boarding for free, but you don't get paid for the work that you do behind the bar, which I was normally fine with that because I, I always had savings, you know what I mean? So it wasn't like I needed extra money, but it was just nice to have the food and the board paid mm-hmm. for for my yeah. job. How many hours do they expect you to work? The normal, for, like 20 to 40 hours. Okay. I've also worked on boats. I worked on day charters when I lived in the States. Did you have to have any experience to do that? Not really. I, re- I had experience on the water before I got that job because I'd worked on the cruise ships and also on a charter company here in, or down in Sydney. But I'd grown up on the water. My dad had a boat growing up, so we used to go out on that a bit when I was a kid. So I had a fair understanding of sailing. But they trained you on that job. You weren't driving the boat. So they weren't they weren't concerned about you knowing the, the markers and things like that. As long as you knew how to lift, a, lift a sail, then you could pretty much get a job there. Okay. And where was this? Down in Key West. Ah, in Florida. Yep. Okay. I lived there for about nine months, nine, ten months. You've been, you've lived there multiple times though, haven't you? Yeah, I go back. I go back and I, and I stay there for it because I can stay in the States for up to six months because I've still got my B1, B2 visa from when I used to work on the big boats. So I can stay in the States for up to six months. I can't work though. That's the thing. So ah. I'm generally never there for maybe three months max just to chill out and catch up with friends and things. How did you work though on the boats? Is it because it, it takes off from the US? It's not considered work in the US or? B1, 
B2 visa is a multiple re-entry visa. So as soon as I got a job on a boat, the boat that, that boat then signed me out of the USA ah, through customs. Okay. So then I was then on whatever that boat was flagged, which was normally in, somewhere in the Caribbean. All right. So do you have a favorite place in the Caribbean that you like? Utila. Definitely Utila. I miss that place so much. Where is that? It's a little island just off that. I think it's 13 kilometers off the coast of Honduras. Okay. So is it its own country? No, it's still part of the people from Utila like to believe it's their own country. They don't like to be called Honduran, but no, it's part of, it's part of Honduras. Okay. And it's a little island? Yes. It's part of the Bay Islands. There's three or four islands in the Bay Islands. So you've got Roatan, Utila, Kask, Chinos. I can never remember the fourth one. I can't remember what that one's called, but there's another one that, that doesn't have as many inhabitants on it. But I chose to live in Utila because I just turned up there randomly and fell in love with the, the little island. How did you end up just showing up there randomly? So when I was living in Palma, I met a girl called Natasha Tash, and she was on the Schengen visa, which is a visa that Australian and New Zealand people can go on to work in greater Europe. Her Schengen visa was about to expire. So she said to me, I'm going to go to this, I'm going to go to Utila and do my dive master. Meanwhile, I've got a British passport, so I could stay in Spain for as long as I, well, maybe not now with the Brexit thing, but I could, I could have stayed in Spain for as long as I wanted to. Okay. And so I just basically waited for the work to dry up, day work to dry up from the big boats. And then when I wasn't really getting much work, I thought, well, I'm going to go over to this mystical island called Utila that my friend has told me all about and go do some diving. So I've been diving for 12 years. I'd never heard of it until you moved there and I, I still don't know much about it. I had never heard of it either, to be honest with you. And I remember, I remember my friend Tash, she sent me this big long email with what to expect when I first turned up to San Pedro Sula, which is the big main international airport. Okay. I remember I was reading this email, sort of going, do I really want to go to Utila? <laughs> oh, what did she say? What what was it that made you think that? Oh, okay. So she told me that when I first came out of the airport, there was going to be a whole because my my flight landed at like midnight. Okay, I I hate late night flights. Yep, and nothing would nothing was open in the airport, and there was she said that there's all armed guards all over the place. And not to worry about the armed guards, they're, they're there to protect you. And I was sort of like, okay. And then she sort of said, then at five o'clock in the morning, the bus the bus station opens. And she goes, I'd recommend going to the bus station because there's nowhere comfortable to sit at San Pedro Airport. It's going to be sitting on the floor for five hours. And I'm like, oh, this sounds like great fun. Mm. And she sort of sent me this, this directions on how to get to the bus station, which has got more comfortable seats. And then it was just the way that she wrote it was just kind of like, these were, these were the bad things that could happen. But I got here okay, so it's all good. And then we had to the boat that we all dubbed the Vomit Rocket from La Saba, Ugh. which was this little catamaran, like enclosed catamaran. And the reason why it was called the Vomit Rocket was because if one person threw up, multiple people would then throw up because there was no ventilation inside this boat. Oh, okay, that makes me feel like I'm going to be sick just hearing that. I don't get seasick. I've never been seasick in my life, and even I was starting to feel a bit queasy on that boat. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and then I turned up to Utila and... I absolutely loved it. I was supposed to be there for three weeks. I think I ended up staying three months that first time. Is it known to be high in crime? Utila, no. So the mainland is. So San Pedro Sula has been on the like the top ten murder capital of the world's list for a very very oh. long time. Okay, so that's where she was telling you you were flying into and that you had to be careful. Yep. Oh, okay. I thought that was onto the island. Okay. No, San Pedro Sula is one of the motor capitals of the world. <gasps> so that's why she was telling me to stay at the airport until five o'clock and then to move over to the bus station where there was more armed guards who were there to protect us and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then La Saba, which is the nearest port to Utila, is relatively safe, but you need to use street smarts if you want to go to La Saba, if you know what I mean. Like don't walk around at night by yourself. That's yeah. just stupid. It's one of those sort of places. Yeah. Make sure you go get your dinner when it's still light and make sure you're going back to your hotel or your hostel while the sun's still up. Is there hostels there? Like where did you did you stay there at all? I did. So I used to stay. There was a hostel. There was a really great hostel there, but that one's now closed down. I don't know why it closed down. Okay. See, in countries like that where I know there's a high rate of crime, I will often not stay in a hostel just because I do feel sometimes a bit safer in a hotel in those yeah, places. Okay. Yeah, that's why I was asking you because I, I think it's an interesting choice. And I hear a lot of people do stay in hostels in certain places like that, but it does personally, I would prefer a hotel. doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work though because I had a bad incident that happened at a five-star resort in Dominican Republic. See, this hostel had really great reviews. I'm not normally one to read reviews. Are you not? No, I'm not at all. So how do you book the places you stay in? I read one or two, if that, and then I just book 
I book it into where I want to be. So you go more on location? Yep. Oh, I am like a thorough reviewer. Go straight onto the bad reviews, the worst ones, the one stars, and I see what they have to say. And if I sometimes, you know, sometimes it can be like, ah, oh, the pool had leaves in it. Like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. The wind puts leaves in the pool. But if it's like there was dirty stains on the sheets and things, and then I'm like, yeah, okay. See, my theory is when it comes to reviews is the only time I've ever written a review is if I've, if I've personally had a really amazing time and I wanted to share my experience with the world or if I've had a really bad time. Yes. There's no in-between reviews. And mm-hmm. they're, the, they're, they're the reviews I want to read are the in-between ones, the ones that say, yeah, the, re- the reception staff were nice, the bed was comfy, the shower was hot, it's all I care, and the TV worked. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're the reviews that I want to read. So I that's why I've stopped reading reviews now because they're either, oh, my God, it was amazing, or it was terrible, don't stay there because there were leaves, there were, there were, there were leaves in the pool. But I definitely so, like to check to make sure there's no stains on the sheets because that one kind of creeps me out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like holes in the walls i have seen curly's fan in the shower Uh uh-huh well you know sometimes even that doesn't creep me out as much because sometimes cleaning they still clean it doesn't always work but it's more the things i'm going to sleep in and the shower you can kind of wash it yourself in a way but yeah the bed sheets and if there's holes in the walls or the doors don't shut or the toilet is communal and that doesn't shut those are the things that I really look for yeah no fair enough see for me I've stayed in some really random places so as long as I've got a bed and a toilet not, not even necessarily a shower as long as I've got a bed and a bed and a toilet I'm pretty happy and you haven't felt unsafe in any of those places and you also do you stay in mixed dorms as well I generally I, I used to always stay in the mixed dorms because they're always cheaper just they're always a good couple of dollars cheaper than staying in an all-female dorm I have recently with the last sort of five six years of traveling I've swapped, swapped over to the all-female dorm not because I don't feel safe, but because women generally don't snore. Yes. That's why I stay in the all-female dorms is because if you're going to find a snorer, it's most probably going to be a guy. And I just got sick of having sleepless nights and having my ears be hurting the next morning because I had to put my earplugs in and things like that. But I thought the extra couple of dollars a night is worth it to sleep in it. But in saying that, I've been in some female dorms and there's been lawnmowers in there, mm. like really bad lawnmowers. It's just not as common. So did you end up, were you able to work in Utila? Yeah, so I, I, the first time I was there, I was just there fun diving and having, and I did a couple of courses that I'd always wanted to do because once I saw the price of the courses over there, I was like, yes, I'm finally, finally going to do my deep, my rec course. But I was just basically fun diving when I was there the first time. But then the second time I was there, I was doing my dive boat captain license. So I wasn't working then either. But then the last time when I was there for two years, I did my I, my IDC, so I did my instructor, my Were dive instructor. Were you there for two years? Yeah. <gasps> really? Yeah. Wow. That time went real quick. I know, right? That's crazy. Yeah, so I, I did my dive instructor. Then I, then I got a job freelancing at one of the dive shops, which was enough to – that was enough to pay my rent and pay for my food. Is the cost of living really cheap there? Very cheap. Okay. Very, very cheap. Is there a lot of travelers that end up staying there for a long time? Yeah, so there's the three the three lies of Utila. I'm leaving tomorrow. <laughs> I love you, and I'm not drinking tonight. So. <laughs> Sounds like very much island life. Yes. So people people turn up and they do what I do. They do what I did. I turned up there the first time for three weeks and end up staying for about three months. And then the last time I turned up, I was I I just secured a job over Christmas and in a hostel in Colorado. And I had a couple of weeks to spare before I had to go to Colorado to go start working at this hostel. And I thought, well, I can either keep on traveling around the States where it's, where it's more expensive. And my, I've got, I've got money. I'm not too concerned about that, but I can either travel around the States a bit more or I can go down to Utila where I got, where I get free diving, go sort of spend a month down there. So I, I went there for about three weeks and ended up staying for almost two years that time. Oh my gosh. So you weren't meant to be there for two years. No. Do you need a visa to be there? No, you can get a three-month visa and you can get a one-month extension. So every four months you have to leave the Nicaragua, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras area. You have to either go to Belize, to the States or to Costa Rica. Okay. And then re-enter and come back in. Oh, so you had to do that every four months? Yep. And where were you going those times? Where did you choose to go? 
I was always really lucky because I always had something planned for those three months, every every sort of three or four months that always just happened to fall on the time when I had to do a about the time I had to do a visa run. So I had Burning Man one time. I had my dad's wedding another another time. I had my best friend's wedding another time. You know what I mean? So I just sort mm-hmm. all my, they just always seemed to fall right when I was needing to do a visa run. Okay. So I never went to Costa Rica or Belize. I'd love to have gone, but I never, never did. Oh, all right. Has there been other things that you've learnt over the years? Like you said about the way you pack now, but is there other things that you've learnt apart from also not, being in a room full of men that snore what other things have you learned over the years I've learned that I prefer to drive or take the train I don't uh-huh. like to fly any like if I'm traveling around one country I don't, I'll, like Europe and the states and things like that I prefer to do it by road or train okay but it, obviously it takes a lot longer it does take a lot longer so you have to factor that in with your travels and obviously if I don't have time then I will fly from point a to point b Mm-hmm. But often you find that the bus or the train is a lot cheaper than flying as well. Yeah. But I just I prefer I love trains. If I could train it everywhere around the world, I would. What's the best train ride that you've been on? Probably probably the GAN here in Australia from Adelaide up to Alice Springs, up to Darwin, I mean, sorry. That was a really cool train ride. I've heard that's beautiful. I haven't done it, but I have heard yeah. it's quite beautiful. And also I did the train from Washington, D.C. down to New Orleans, which took like 36 hours. Okay. You just sort of saw the, the passing scenery. Every Every state you went through was different. It was incredible. Yeah, I've done a few road trips throughout the U.S., so I can... I can relate to that and I do agree it is quite beautiful and I do enjoy doing that. The same through Europe. I, I've driven through and a lot of it with, was with my dad and we drove through but it is a good way to be able to see because you do get to explore and then you can stop and see things. But when do you often do that when you're by yourself? Do you ever hire a car by yourself? Yep, I hire a lot of cars a lot, and I've just recently learned a new hack for hiring cars is the relocation of, I've never done it, I haven't done this yet, but it's something I've only just found out about, I'm a bit gutted, I've only just found out about it, Yeah, and it's the relocation of hire cars. For example, my friend who's from Canada, who's now currently driving, traveling around Australia, he was going to get a hire car in Adelaide because it needed to be relocated back to Melbourne for $1. All he had to do was pay for gas and he had three days to get the car back to Melbourne from Adelaide, which is about a 14-hour drive. Oh. I know, right? Why haven't I not heard of this before? Me neither. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be looking up this one when I'm going to the bigger countries. Like, obviously, I probably won't be able to get these sort of deals in Central America. But in the States and in Europe, they're... How do you know that you... Like, where do you find this out? There's a website, and I can't remember what the website is, to be honest with you. But um, I guess you'll just type in relocation of high cars, and I'm sure websites come up. Very cool. That is a very handy trick. Yeah, $1? I yeah, I hire cars a lot. Another friend of mine who's also from Canada who's traveling around Australia, he got a camper van from Perth and needed to be relocated to Melbourne. And it was a proper, one of the, one of those, uh, like a proper self-contained camper van with all the cooking and all that kind of stuff in there. He didn't have to pay, all he had to pay for was gas. And he had that for a week to get from Perth to Melbourne, which is only like three days of driving hmm. to get from point A to point B. So we had three days to go off and do a few little excursions. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. And you get to see a lot more while you're driving. Yeah, because I, I hire a lot of cars when I, when I travel. Do you? Do you feel confident yeah. to drive by yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do not. <laughs> no? No, I did it in Greece because I wanted to go and see the church that my grandmother worshipped and I ended up meeting a lady the night before at the restaurant and I was like, do you want to come with me? She was like, yes, please. I was like, great. So I ended up having her with me, but I think I would have been petrified by myself and the driving in Greece is quite scary. And so it was nice kind of having her being like, oh, there's something else coming. Stop. Uh, uh," And having that extra set of eyes. (laughs) (laughs) That felt really comforting for me. I don't know. How do you do it? Do you, have you driven in places where it is intense? Yeah, I have. But mostly Wales is very intense to drive in because there's lots of little alley, like lots of laneways with high hedges. So you can't see what's going around the corner, but the laneway is only wide enough for one car. Yeah, well, that's what it was like in Greece is that actually all you could just squeeze this car in and not knowing, you know, when it's your own car, I feel like you get to learn your car, but this is a higher car. So it's like, I don't know how far it is. And oh, it was very scary for me. I'm quite comfortable driving also on the other side of the road as well. Yeah, that was so, my next question. That's what freaks me out more than anything. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I've only ever gone down the, the wrong way down an off-ramp in America once. <laughs> oh, that's a bit dangerous. Yeah, that's a big yeah. doozy. 
and it happened at night and I was in the car with my mum. We're driving down. I went, why are the headlights coming towards me? And then we sort of realised that we're on the, going the wrong way down an off-ramp and <gasps> both sort of screamed. And luckily there was grass, a big grass medium strip. So I just basically pulled over onto the grass and turned around and went the right way up the off-ramp. Oh, that's a close call. But yeah, so that's what happened to me once. <laughs> well, that's good. You know, you do travel so much. So you are constantly going from one side of the car and road to the other constantly. Yeah, I do find that even now being back in Australia, I do go to put my seatbelt on the wrong side. Yeah. And occasionally I put my my right hand down to change the gear and to drive and stuff like that. I'm like, no, no. Have you driven from the UK over to France? No. Someone asked me a very good question the other day, which I don't know the answer to, and one of my listeners might. But you know how there is the, the drive that you can do? Yep. When does it change the side of the road? I think once you hit the European continent, it does. But how? How do they do it? I've seen it. I've seen it when I have been in the UK when I've been visiting family, and, and there's been a like someone from Germany has come over to Wales or England, and I, I don't actually know, but he was on the wrong side of the car on our side of the road because obviously in the UK they drive the same as we drive. Yeah, Commonwealth. But on the European continent, well, not so much the Commonwealth because Canada's not the same as us. Canada's the same as the states. Ah, I thought it was all Commonwealth countries because even some of the Caribbean that are Commonwealth drive on the same side we do. Yeah, I know. But no, Canada huh. Canada definitely drive on the other side of the road. See, again, that would be weird though if you're crossing the road going into the US. How do they then change to the other side of the road? So that's probably yeah. why. Yeah, exactly. But I think because the uh, – yeah, I think – I don't know. I guess when you get off the ferry or you go through the tunnel to France, you just turn up on the right side of the road, on the wrong <laughs> side of the car. I don't know. Someone said to me the other day, I'm like, I haven't done that. So I don't actually know the answer to that. No, I don't know. No, I don't either. That's a good question. I like that. I'd like to go to Europe and find out for you. Yeah, I think so. We need to do that road trip underneath (laughs) there and go, so now when does it swap? Uh, The way I'm thinking is it must, I don't know, there must be like an overpass that then changes you to the other side of the road. There has to be some kind of there has to be some kind of like way waypoint, you know what I mean? Like some kind of stop point. Mm-hmm. Not maybe not a stop point, but there must there has to be some kind of like big signage and just like a, a big roundabout or something. It's like now you are on the other side of the road. But you can kind of merge onto the other side of the road and continue driving. Yeah, almost like a chicane or something like that sort of takes you over to the other side of the road. I don't know, but it's it's had my mind ticking for a few days now, and I don't want to kind of Google it because I don't want to ruin the illusion really (laughs) yeah I know I was just thinking about getting onto Google just now but I thought no don't do it yeah I kind of like not knowing but I'm kind of curious by it that's that's, that's, I like that yeah that's a good question that is I don't know I can't answer that one yeah and people are like oh I know heaps of people have done it and they do it all the time but I've never thought to ask that question I'm like me neither I'm gonna ask that question next time I speak to a European yeah yeah is there any parts of Europe you haven't been to I haven't really been to uh, Czechoslovakia, Slovakia, oh, yeah. those sort of those sort of areas. Yeah, I'd love to. I would love and like Kazakhstan and places like that. I'd love to go. But I've been to all the usual suspects. Yeah. in Europe. I always say this to everybody, and I always say the same thing: is I hate asking this question, but I always ask it. Do you have a favorite place? Which I'm kind of guessing. I think I know, but let me just see what you're <laughs> gonna say. I think my favorite place and somewhere where I'm dying to go back to and photograph more of would be Antarctica. Oh, can you tell me about your trip to Antarctica? I've been there twice now. Have you? Through the same company with my with my family. And we went there for my dad's 50th and then went there again for my dad's 60th. But we went there twice. I am desperate to get back there and actually work a season on Antarctica. What kind of trip did you do? Did you actually do like a flyover or did you go out and spend a couple of days there? How does it work? So we did a 19-day trip on a boat, big expedition trip, big expedition boat, an old Russian icebreaker. The boat crew, apart from the the actual boat crew, like all the everyone else on board are all naturalists or all scientists. Oh. They, all, they all specialize in something, um, either marine biology, zoology and ecology or something like that. And then they've all all got their, their own specialties. Like there was ornithologists on board. There was um, marine mammal specialists on board and things like that. So it's, it's really educational, the trip that we've done. So it starts from either Ushuaia or the Falkland Islands. 
Mm-hmm. Then it takes you down via South Georgia and the Sandwich Islands, and then you go down into sub-Antarctic, then you hit Antarctic mainland, as you get to go off the boat, Antarctic mainland. So I've, I've now set foot on Antarctic mainland twice, which is very exciting. Which means that you've been to every continent, correct? Yeah. Yeah, because that's the only one I haven't been to yet. Yeah, I would have been. Yeah, I've been to all, all the continents. Yeah. Cool, I haven't thought about that. <laughs> yeah, that's the only one because people ask me all the time. I'm like, oh, I just haven't been to Antarctica, but I've been to every other continent multiple times. But, yeah, it's yeah. it's very cool. But, yeah, I'd love to go back to Antarctica, but I think part of my heart has – I've left a part of my heart in Africa, another part of my heart in Utila. Yeah. My heart is sort of spread out in three directions at the moment. Mm. You don't plan out your whole trip, do you? You kind of just wing it. Totally wing it. Yeah, see, I'm far more of a planner because I'm normally on a schedule where I have to be back at a certain time and I try and cram in as much as possible. Apart from the time when I then flew to Mallorca and met you there. That was pretty, that was, that was me. I was meant to be in Dublin for a lot longer, but the weather was miserable. And I was just like, I don't want to spend my birthday in the rain and the cold because it's always rainy and cold in Melbourne over, it's winter, July yep. in Melbourne. And so we ended up having the most amazing time. But a question I have about Antarctica, do you remember how much those trips cost you? Because this is the reason I haven't done it. Yeah, they're not cheap. Yeah. Yeah. They're thousands, yeah, aren't they? Thousands. Thousands yeah. and thousands. So you haven't figured out a cheap way to do that? I was just wondering in case you did. Well, you, you work. You work over there. You get paid. <laughs> Oh, oh you work in Antarctica. I'm like, oh, I thought you meant just like work and save your money and then you can go. No, <laughs> you find a job in Antarctica and you just go live there for three months. Oh, see, I don't think I could do that. I hate the cold. Oh, I love the cold. I love snow, but I've never lived. I've never lived with snow before. So, but I think I'd enjoy it because I know I'd be coming back to far north Queensland. Yeah, where it's hot, and you told me it's cold today, and I can't even imagine what the temperature is. <laughs> It was freezing. I actually went to, to school today with my hoodie on. I think it was about 25 degrees. <laughs> yeah, which is not freezing at all. Free- We're soft up here in far north Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you've lived on an island for two years. Does Utila get cold at all? Uh, yeah, during the wet season it does. For maybe about two months out of the year it gets oh, In saying that, people are still walking around in singlet tops and shorts. But Okay. But all so of Queensland us- cold? Yeah, Queensland cold, but the ones who live there wear the ones in the track suit pants and the Ugg boots and the hoodies. It's freezing. Yeah, so not Melbourne cold. No, no, definitely not Melbourne cold. Okay, very cool. Do you have any other tips for my listeners, Jules? One of the things that I've really learned how to do in the years of traveling is to follow my gut. If something feels even slightly off, don't do it. Mm. I guess that's one of the, especially for female travelers, if you're in a situation where you just don't, you just, something's telling you to not do it, then I would highly recommend not doing it. And that's probably one of the reasons why I honestly believe that I haven't had any terrible experiences because I've, I've got, I listen to my gut and I've got a good, I've got good street smarts. Yeah. Don't rely on other people. hundred percent do not rely on other people. Otherwise you will miss out. You won't get to see what you want to see. And don't be afraid to go into that temple by yourself because at the end of the day, you, what you want to do is not what everyone else wants to do. Yeah, I think that's great advice because I have heard people say that, oh, I've missed out because someone wanted to do this. I was like, why didn't you just go do it by yourself? Yeah. Yeah, and I feel a lot of people feel like they they shouldn't do that or they can't do that or they feel bad. A lot of a lot of people from my experience, they kind of say things like, well, I was traveling with my friend and my friend really wanted to go see that and I, I didn't want to upset them. Mm. And I kind of turned around to them and said, well, were you happy? And they said, well, no. And I'm like, well, mm. your friend would have gotten over it if you'd said to her, I don't want to go see that art gallery. I want to go to that Mayan temple instead. Or if you come to some kind of agreement kind of thing, you know what I mean? And say, yeah. okay, well, we'll do this in the morning then we'll go see that Mayan temple in the afternoon. Or, but yeah, don't be afraid to go and do things by yourself because otherwise you're going to come home and people are going to go, oh, did you see this? And be like, no, I didn't because so-and-so wanted to see that instead. Yeah, and I feel like that traveling is one of those things not everyone has time to go back and see that place again there's so many countries I'll never get back to and so I often have that same belief as I'm here now whatever I want to do I'm going to try and do it exactly obviously try not to annoy your friends too much by going off on your own Mm. but that's also why I travel by myself so I'm not having to rely on other people and whenever I have traveled with people I've I've always felt like I'm the babysitter because they know how much I've traveled, so they sort of tag along and they don't talk to me about what they want to do. So I'm kind of, do you want to do this today or do you want to do that today sort of thing and trying to be like the mother and it, I find that really annoying. Yeah, totally. And have you had disaster stories where you don't talk to that person anymore after you've traveled with them? 
No, I don't, I've never. Well, there's there's one girl that I tried. The girl I traveled over to the UK with, but that's okay. only one. Because I've my my best friend. I've told her numerous occasions. I'm not traveling with you. I'll do a small trip to Thailand for a week, but I'm not doing a big overland trip with you because I love you too much. <laughs> I don't want to ruin the friendship. <laughs> well, I think that's a really good, honest point, and yeah. I feel the same way because we we might be on the same mindset when I'm going down and seeing her in Sydney, but when we're traveling, we might be on completely different pages. And that can cause a rift between friends. Yeah. So just need to be very careful if you do want to travel with your best friend that you are on the same page with everything or most things. 90% of my traveling by myself, the other 5% has been with family. Mm. And then the, the other 5% has been, maybe even less than 5% has been with friends because I just refuse to travel with my friends, especially my good, my close friends. I won't travel with them. Yeah. How many friends have you made through traveling? How long's a piece of string, Michelle? Yeah, <laughs> I've made so many. I've got. I've, let's let's just put it this way: I've got, I've got a couch to sleep on in pretty much every single major city in the world, if I wanted to. And I've got a couch to sleep on in in almost any, anywhere I want to go. I, I know someone. That's amazing, and that's what I love about traveling. And it's what happens when you open yourself up. And can you imagine nineteen-year-old Jules thinking this would be you? No, God, no. I was terrified back then. But no, I've definitely definitely changed my whole aspect and my whole outlook on life and my get up and go and my personality has done a total 180 as well from being quite the shy, quiet, people watcher kind of girl to the one up dancing on the bar. And I do agree with trusting your gut because I, I do feel like when I go somewhere, I'm the yes person. Like this is what I try and tell myself. If someone wants to do something, say yes. Yep. Oh, you want to go there? Cool. Do you want to talk to me? Yes. You know, that's kind of my way of thinking. But if I do ever get a sus feeling, I trust it. Yeah, same. Always. Yeah. And I think that's a good way of being because then you do meet people. Like I would never have been able to have that conversation with you, even though you were sick and I was still like, do you want to come out? You're like, sorry, mate, I'm sick as a dog. And I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. And it wasn't now- like that, Michelle. You're like, come on, come out, come out, come out. And I'm like, very much so. <laughs> Definitely. I did. I do that. I have a bad habit of that. I want everyone to party. Oh, And then I thought I found the love of my life and I didn't. Remember, I turned up to that hostel, beat my way through the crowd of people in reception. Because there was already a party at- happening in the reception. Terrible. Yelled at the reception guy because everyone was going up and talking to him and all I wanted to do, because I was wearing a hoodie and jeans and runners yes. and sneakers and I was boiling and because I just come from New Orleans, no one ever told me it got cold in Louisiana. On all the movies you ever see, they're always sitting there fanning themselves. But yeah. if you go around Christmas, it is freezing in Louisiana. No one told me that. No, I wouldn't think so that. So I had all these winter clothes on in Miami and all I wanted to do was get up to my room and get changed and I wanted to cry I honestly thought I wanted to cry but I got through it yeah because you met this other Aussie going do you want to come out and party <laughs> no I don't <laughs> <laughs> and then we ended up partying together in Mallorca and I often do tell people when they say to me you know do you do you meet people much when you travel I'm like yeah absolutely even my friend that I was staying with in Dublin when I booked that flight I had met her in San Fran at a hostel Oh, okay. Nice. And then I was like, sorry, this weather sucks. I need to go. Do you want to come with me? She was like, I've got to work. I can't come. Put it on Facebook. You're like, come to Mallorca. I looked it up. The flights weren't the cheapest, but I was like, "Mm, it's an island off Spain. Sounds amazing. So I just booked (laughs) it and we had the best time. And still, like I said earlier, best birthday I've ever had. I might put those photos actually on my Instagram for With You Every Step because those photos of this place are beautiful. Very fun times. I loved. I liked my It's one place I'd love to go back to. Yeah, it was great. And you know, a lot of people have this image about it. I think from movies or songs, and that it's kind of related to. But I really loved it. But you, I loved it because you showed it to me in a way yeah. with love. Oh, <laughs> you did. We got to see. I got to see the good parts of Mallorca. Yeah, we did. We got. Yeah, we did. We absolutely we did. We got. To, we got to go in those little caves. Remember, off the cliffs as well. Mm-hmm. We did lots. We went to the beach. We did snorkeling. We went into the caves. We had lots of stuff in such a short amount of time. I think I was only there maybe yeah. what four days or if that. I think you were only a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah, we did a lot, but I also do think that makes a difference when you know someone that's kind of been there for a while. Yeah, absolutely. And you were driving. You had a car. Yeah. So hot tip from Michelle and Jules is if you meet someone, add them on Facebook. You never know when you're going to need them. Hot tip from Michelle and Jules, if you meet the man of your dreams, don't get stuck in the toilet, toilet <laughs> stall. 
Very true. Very true. <laughs> and make sure you take the lock before you before you oh. lock it properly. Oh my gosh. I could have been the man of my I can't even remember his name. I can't even do a shout out. Thank you so much, Jules. It's been amazing talking with you today. I hope everyone else has enjoyed our catch up as much as I've enjoyed catching up with you. <laughs> it's been fun. Thanks for listening to With You Every Step, hosted by Michelle Lee. We do hope you enjoyed listening. And if you did, make sure you tell everybody. If you didn't, nobody likes a Debbie Downer. Please subscribe to get up to date with our latest releases and give us a thumbs up on our social media at With You Every Step. We love to hear from you. If you have any questions or inquiries, head to the Contact Us page at our website, michellelee.com. That's also where you'll find all our blogs mentioned in the podcast. We love to hear from you and if we have inspired you to travel. Thanks for listening. Love life and adventure on.